Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Dhammang Sangam Namasami It's delightful to be here with all of you today. To be here. And you are here. We are here together. The way that we've been practicing Dhamma is a COVID way. We know this well. It's a way of looking for quiet, looking for seclusion, looking for deep connection, looking for safety. I thought it would be good to tell you a little story today, a COVID story. It's not about COVID. And uh, it's from the scriptures. And this is the story of the baby quail. Uh, you may be familiar with this. It's to be found in the Jataka tales. So the Jataka tales are helpful commentaries on verses that the Buddha actually taught. And so the, the story itself it, it may be legendary or take it as you will, but it's a metaphor. And I'd like to uh, expound on this metaphor afterwards. And it's called the Vataka Purita. And the Vataka Purita is a blessing, a protection blessing that we chant. And one of the Purita chants that we do. And the story behind it is about the Blessed One traveling on Bindabhat in the Magadan area with some of his monastic followers. And on coming back from an alms round, a fire broke out and his followers joined him just where he was standing. And the fire did not approach that area for 16 karisas. And the karisa is 123 feet. That's almost two kilometers, but maybe it was closer. Anyway, the, the bhikkhus were astounded by this marvelous power of the Blessed One. And they asked him, how could this happen? And the Buddha said that the fire was extinguished, not because of his present power, but because of the past power of his truth for lifetimes. So even though the fire may have been trying to approach him when it got within that circumference of 16 karisas, it was extinguished. And the Buddha then said to the monks, do you know, this is a story about a little quail and this little quail was himself in a past life. So I'll read this story to you from the Chattakas. At one time when the Blessed One 
was born as a quail. He had little feet and little wings, but he could not yet walk or fly. And his parents used to work hard to bring food to the nest, feeding him with their beaks. In that part of the world, there were usually forest fires every year. And so it happened that a fire began in that particular year. All the birds who were able flew away at the very first sign of smoke. But the baby quail's parents remained with him. Finally, the fire got so close, they too had to fly away to save their lives and they could not take the baby quail with them. All the trees were burning and crackling and the baby quail saw that everything was being destroyed and the fire was raging out of control. He couldn't do anything to save himself. At that moment, his mind was overcome with a feeling of helplessness. And then the baby quail thought, my parents loved me so much. They built this nest for me. They fed me without greed. And when the fire came, they stayed with me as long as they could. And only at the last moment did they fly away to save their lives and they could not carry me with them. All the other birds who could had flown away a long time before. So great was the loving kindness of my parents that they stayed and risked their lives, but they were helpless to save me. I thank them wherever they are for loving me so. I hope with all my heart, they will be safe and well and happy. But now I am all alone. There is no one I can go to for help. I have wings, but I cannot fly. I have feet, but I cannot run away. But I can still think. All I have left to use is my mind a mind that is pure. The only beings I have known in my short life were my parents and my mind is filled with loving kindness for them. I have done nothing unwholesome to anyone. I am filled with the purity of this truth. Then an amazing thing happened. The purity of this truth grew and grew until it became larger than the baby bird. And the knowledge of that truth spread beyond his lifetime into the many previous births that he had known. In one such previous birth, he had known a Buddha, a fully enlightened knower of truth, who had the power of truth and the purity of virtue and the truth and power of compassion. Then the great being within that tiny baby quail thought, may this very young, innocent being of pure truth be united with that ancient stream of purity, that pure wholesomeness and power of truth. And may all birds and other beings still trapped by the fire be saved. And may this spot be safe from fire for all days to come. And so it was. The baby quail was saved 
the fire did not come within 16 carissas of that baby bird. And all the beings within that area were saved. So that's the story of the baby quail. And the metaphor is about the power of truth, the power of the purity of our minds. We may not have feet to run away. We may not have wings to fly. And look, here we are in this age of COVID. We cannot go where we want. We cannot fly in the plains. We're grounded. We're locked down. We have to stay put. We are forced to stay present. What do we do with staying present? We can be present to the truth within us. And the truth within us is not only the truth that we practice now, but is the, the truth of lifetimes of intention which brought us to this Dhamma. And it's also the truth of the footsteps of all those arahants and great noble beings and those practicing for nobility on this ancient path, not only during this eon, but for eons before. The power of that truth can also save us from the flames, not the flames of just a fire, a worldly fire, but from the flames of greed, hatred, and delusion. This is the real infection that we should fear. Though we may fear the sickness and death of the body, that would only be fearsome if the mind were infected with a raging greed or ill will towards anyone or anything. And if we were able to practice in a way that brings forth compassion towards all beings without distinction, the way the sun, the sun shines on all beings without picking out just the good ones or the ones it likes. So the sun has no likes or dislikes. And the sun of the Dhamma is what we're polishing and shining within us. I look around, I see from the windows of the meditation hall, only trees and sky. And I hear the sounds of many birds singing, chanting. They don't chant only for us. They chant for everyone. They don't even know we're listening. They chant for themselves. They just chant because that's what birds do. They sing, they, they praise, they praise nature. They praise their own bodies, their own ability to chant. And their chant is one of truth. And when we practice the Dhamma, that's our chant. We're just like those birds. We just praise virtue. We praise the Buddha. We praise enlightened wisdom. We praise the Dhamma, the truth of this teaching. And we praise all those that practice and all those that are able to practice. Well, that is everyone. Everyone that is born, everyone that has been born, everyone that is still here, everyone that has died, everyone that will die, everyone. Praise and truth for its own sake. 
compassion and loving kindness for its own sake. This is the, the way of the path. It isn't just to gather together for a Zoom once in a while and connect in the truth, but it is to carry the flame of that truth with us at all times in everything we do, and especially in moments of fear. When we feel afraid, we have to lean our hearts in the direction of the sun, the sun of the Dharma, that light that will shine on us even in the darkest moment. It's, it's there. In the darkest moment, that little quail found its protection through the power of its own truth. I have wings, but I cannot fly. I have feet, but I cannot walk, but I can know the purity of my mind. I have never harmed any living being. And for those of us who think, oh, well, I've, I've harmed somebody, but now we know the, the path of harmlessness. And so we make an intention not to harm because we know that causing harm is destructive not only to others but to ourselves so we try to bring up ways of being and strength of heart that will give us wings and feet so that we can walk we can fly in the ways of truth which are harmless that harmlessness leads us to a selflessness that selflessness leads us to the deathless. We don't come to the deathless by not dying. It's impossible not to die. All conditioned things are bound for death. Even that little quail, of course, at some point would have died and then lived or come back through another stream of life, another stream of consciousness. And after many, 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 such lifetimes would have appeared as the Blessed One himself. Hard as that may be for us to fathom, that is true. We only know our lifespan from birth to death, but in between birth and death, well, we are born many moments and we die many moments. Many mind states are born and die. And in the same way, we have so many lifetimes that have come and gone. We may not remember them, but that doesn't mean they didn't exist. We don't even remember everything about this life. Can you remember what it felt like when you were eating your favorite ice cream at the age of five? Or when you got a bad grade in school? Whatever incidents happened, good or bad, do you remember all of them? Maybe just your favorite ones, or maybe just the painful ones. We don't remember everything. There's so much we don't know. But all we have to know is the breath arising in this moment as we did together for a few moments. We were able to be with the breath, and we can be with that breath in a boundless way in a pure way, in a truthful way, not controlling it or denying it, 
manipulating or trying to get some experience out of it. If we can practice our meditation as a rehearsal for daily life, what we can grow in that pure way of being with the breath is a fearlessness, is a boundless compassion, and is a wisdom of seeing things as they truly are. These are the things that can save us. The baby quail was saved from the fire, but when we live in the world, there are fires around us all the time. There are fires within us. There are the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion, and there are fires outside of us. Other people's greed, other people's ill will, and other people's confusion. Sometimes we are impacted by that. And we feel like we can't, we can't practice. What's happening with this time of lockdown and being so limited in our, even in our work? We find in that limitation, we do find a freedom that we may not have known before. Those of us that have an ability to use the Dhamma in this situation are discovering that more than ever. And those that didn't practice before are suddenly finding beauty in the quiet. We know about that beauty and quiet and seclusion and containment. It is a remarkable power that we can develop by keeping the mind still and by living more simply, by not being able to go as we please, when we please, shopping or every other activity that we may have missed during this period. Now we have to stay and connect with the people we live with. More and more and more connect with them. And this is what we have to do in the meditation practice and in the Dhamma practice. In living the Noble Eightfold Path, it's not just a meditation. The Noble Eightfold Path has eight limbs. The first limb is right view, is right seeing, and right way of understanding, which brings us to right intention. So the more we stay with things, the more we examine things, the more we can see them as they truly are. And we have to take this right seeing and right intention into our, our speech, our actions, and our livelihoods, our way of working. Even people who are retired are still busy working, working in the garden, or building something that you need, or fixing things. We still manage to be very busy. Here in the monastery, people may think we're just on retreat, but we have acres of land and many buildings to take care of. When we finish cleaning one building, there's another one. When we clear the cobwebs, there are more in another building. When we finish cleaning the kitchen, then there's other rooms to clean. There are pathways to clear. We have to find people to help us mow the lawns because we can't do that. But then we have to pick up the detritus from all those jobs. And we have to take care of our bodies and our clothing, our robes. 
so many things. Wash the windows. What are the plants? Dust the Buddha statues. Take care of the flowers. So much care. But none of it is beyond the path. This is the path. It's taking care with every kind of work that we do is to do it with love, with gratitude, and with compassion. Not to feel like we have to get away. We have to go distract and do something else. Even if there's no one else here practicing with us, this is our practice, this life. Whether we're in a household life or in the monastery, whatever we're doing is bringing the Eightfold Noble Path to life. And so finding our wings and finding our feet when the fires are raging, when the infection is, when the contamination is everywhere, we are trying to take care of our minds, to protect our minds from infection. If the mind is disinfected, it doesn't matter how long we live. It matters the quality of our life, the quality of our ability to praise, like the birds praising, truth in this moment, in, in, in our words, in speech and action, in the way we face each other every day with all the work. It doesn't mean that we don't get tired, but even when we feel tired, we can sometimes just feel tired. It's a tiredness, but we're not afraid of feeling tired. And we don't expect not to feel what we feel. We have a body. The body gets sick, the body gets tired, the body gets old, the body gets hurt, or it hurts. It is a hurt, hurting heap of khandas, this body. What do we expect? Not to be hurt? I often reflect on the Buddha's life. He didn't live free from pain. He was fully enlightened. But he had injuries people tried to kill him well his cousin even drew blood throwing something at him and drew blood the buddha he was not free from being injured from being sick in the body but his mind was free from the pain the second arrow the pain of believing or thinking that this body would not suffer or die. But the real death is the death to our anger and our greed and our lack of compassion. And it is to raise that, bring up compassion in the moments when it is needed, having compassion for all beings who suffer in this realm. There are many beings dying not from COVID, but from other things, car accidents, kidney failure, old age, some beings die in birth. This is a good time for us to dedicate the merits of our practice to all beings everywhere, no matter what their condition. May all beings find the wings of the Dhamma and the feet of this noble practice to support them through whatever hardship or whatever joy we face.
and share it. We share the good and we share the difficult. We share our strength and we share our weakness. But to overcome fear and to overcome harmful states of mind, this is a daily and everyday breathing, breathing in, breathing out practice, just like the breath is every moment. Compassion, if it's not there, we can raise it. Not to be so inflamed by fear that we cannot turn to compassion for ourselves. The little quail had so much compassion for itself. I have no feet. I cannot run away. I have no wings. I can't fly. But I have the pure truth within me. Reflecting on the truth within us is so powerful. That alone will get us to the deathless, that which is beyond death. It really will. I trust that totally. That's why I'm living in a monastery here with dear Ayana Ruda. Sadhu 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 Anumodami. Blessings to everyone. Any questions? Maybe you can elaborate a little bit. You talked about harmlessness. We come from a place from harmlessness, then we get to selflessness. We can get to deathlessness. I just never heard that. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit. Thank you. Actually, I quoted myself because I, <laughs> I was listening to another talk and I had said that and I'd forgotten that. It's true because harmlessness is the culmination, the consummation of the mind's purity. It's when there's no harm. I would say that the state of anagami is overcoming anger and fear, anger, greed, and fear, because that's where the self, this strong sense of self gets translated. The way we relate to others and the way we relate to ourselves. We hold a deluded mind state in that because we, we feel separate, but we aren't separate. We're only separate physically. Just like now, COVID is such a great teacher because we think we're separate, but we're not separate. And this kind of way of digitally getting together is a sign of that lack of separation. But how is this happening? Well, I don't know, but it's <laughs> happening. And somebody is going to come along and give me a digital explanation. I'm interested in the heart connection which is more powerful than the digital. But those of us that have only believed the physical connection was important are learning the good news that there's a deeper strata than this. And it's through the practice, through the mind. So the mind connection is more powerful than the digital one, and it's selfless. When one is able to practice selflessly, one can reach out boundlessly to anyone. And I'm sure you may have tasted this. If you think about your, your loved one that you're not with, 
How near are you to them? They could be sitting with you. You could be in tears just thinking about them. Tears of love or tears of joy or maybe something else. I don't know. But that's how powerful the mind is. Now, from the meditation practice, we also know that the mind can give us insight that we could never get with our eyes. Insight that we could never get with our glasses. Even if you were to use a microscope or a telescope, the insight that we get is more powerful than the sight of distant stars or the sight of the nanosphere through a powerful microscope because it's the sight of truth. And the truth is immeasurable, it's boundless, and it's selfless. So we go from that kind of boundless quality of harmlessness to the boundless quality of selflessness. And selflessness is a quality when it's perfected, it leads to a state of non-fear. It leads to a state of non-greed. And eventually it leads to a state of complete understanding, complete wakefulness, which is tantamount to the deathless in brief. I, uh, this is something that has been addressed many times by many people, but I find that um, the more often one is able to hear a lesson, the better that lesson sinks in. So for myself personally, I find it difficult to interrupt unwholesome states of mind, especially if they are states that have, the, that have lasted a long time and that have almost become a habit. So if you could give a brief commentary as to how to interrupt unwholesome states of mind and shift into a more positive state of mind filled with compassion and gratitude, I would deeply appreciate it. Thank you. I think that's everyone's biggest challenge probably is to interrupt the unwholesome it's very hard we have to dig deep like here we have to dig so deep these are deep digging days interrupting unwholesomeness because the world is full of it and the mind is full of it it these are we all have these habits that's what we want to overcome and that's why we're here and patience is an important I'm sure you've heard this, but you're right. The more we hear it, the more chance there is that we're going to interrupt that big Mara of unwholesomeness that creeps in from day to day, as Shakespeare once put it, creeps in. Yeah, we have to be patient and we have to not believe it so much. And sometimes I find that if I'm really aware the weather in the mind and it's knocking and, and saying storm 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 do you always believe the weatherman <laughs> no so why do we believe this is because of ego it's the weather within us that is breathing the storm the problem the dragon the monster is so believable we just, we bow. And then we have to interrupt ourselves and say, why are we bowing? Why am I bowing? Why do I believe this? We have to interrupt the way we receive information. 
So COVID is a good teacher in that way also. We, we're, we have a, a variety of choice. There's so much on the internet to listen to. Some people watch movies and some people watch the news and some people watch sports. Most of us listen to Dhamma and you can choose. So it's really what we have to understand is that we create karma every time we make a false or harmful. It's a harmful choice. If we understand the power of karma, as a, a small child, most of us would have known if you touch the stove and it's hot, you'll burn your finger. So then we learn not to touch it. So we start to recognize the mind states that are going to be damaging. And we do everything in our power to refrain from them. And that is difficult. But we are making choices day by day. So call a friend on the phone and say, you got to talk to me because I'm thinking unwholesome thoughts and I can't stop. Or I'm making poor choices, you got to help me. And friendship is 100% of the path. If we can't do it on our own, I could do this on my own. That's why the Buddha created a Sangha. He created a community because we cannot see our own blindness. If we see our own blindness, then we can go live in a cave. We can go live anywhere. But most of us don't have that strength. It's the weak ones that live in community. The strong ones are out somewhere in the wild, living in the wilderness. But I tell you, this mind is a wilderness. We live in a wilderness of the mind, and the Dhamma is our only safety. So when people say, stay safe to me, I'd say to myself, I have the Dhamma. I feel safe. But I think they're telling me something else. You be safe from COVID. COVID is not the problem. The fear of COVID is, is where we're not safe. It's the fear. So we have to lean on our friends and choose our friends well and not be shy to ask for help. Because really it is 100% of the path. And here with the TBC, you have a community. What a powerful ally. What a powerful force for meeting the monster and saying, I know you. The Buddha was not without monsters. He had people trying to trick him and destroy him. But he was so awake. He could tell right away. And he would say to Mara, I know you. And then Mara would run away. We have on the shrine this beautiful Buddha Rupa. And it was made for us in Thailand. It was carved from a tree. And uh, the mudra of this Rupa, of this statue, is touching the earth. So the Buddha is touching the earth. That's a sign to us that we need to touch the earth to say to the earth, I have a right to sit here. I have a right to bear witness to this moment. Even if the only thing that you do with that monster in the mind is say, I have a right to call you by your true name. I know you for what you are. Then do that. Then ask your friend, help me 
sustain that mantra. I know you. I'm bearing witness to this poor mental habit, this impoverishment of mind, this bad weather system that's blowing through and I have no protection. It's like the baby quail. Help, I have wings, but I cannot fly. I have feet, but I cannot walk. It's like we're handicapped. We're lame. We're broken. We're lost on the mountain. We're buried in a cave under the ground, remembering the, the Thai boys that got trapped under the earth and they were rescued. They didn't know they'd be rescued. And their teacher taught them how to meditate. That's how they were able to stay sane in that darkness. So if you can bring attention to the monster and call it a monster, that's your mantra of rescue. But sometimes we need someone next to us to say, come on, you can do it. It's just a monster of the mind. So do the monster mash. <laughs> I know when I hear the story of the little quail, I think about um, conscience and uh, a bad conscience can be extremely painful. If we steal food to eat, uh, the bad conscience might be worse than the hunger itself. And, and yet some people don't have, seem to have a conscience and or even people who recommend that we try to ignore the conscience and not have a conscience. And that's the way we should live without the pain of conscience. wonder what you would say to that. Don't listen to people that don't have a conscience. It's very important to be able to see the karmic results of our actions and make our decisions based on that. So if we're following uh, greed or we're acting in ways that are harmful, then we're creating suffering for ourselves and probably for somebody else too. The whole reason we're here on this planet as human beings in this realm, difficult birth to get, is to wake up. Many people may not know that or believe that. So then conscience doesn't figure into it. But for us, those of us that are sons and daughters of the Buddha, virtue is the most important thing. If you don't have purity of mind, purity of heart, and follow up, a way of living that is intentionally harmless, then this is not good karma. You're in the wrong business. <laughs> so without virtue, we can't even really meditate. If we sit down after hurting somebody, we sit down to meditate, our mind is going to be full of that harmful deed. There's no escape. You could suppress it for a while, but eventually you'll be tormented by it. Eventually, the truth bubbles up to the surface, and whatever we've done that has been harmful, it comes to the fore. That's why people sometimes freak out on long retreats, because they have memories of things that they did, or things that other people did to them that are unbearable. The mind records everything. The heart records our history from A to Z, and even our past history. That's why if we have good karma, we'll be able to purify our minds quickly. It doesn't matter how long it takes. 
it just matters that we do it, that we begin now and we keep working in this direction. We cannot control what anyone else does. You cannot create a conscience for somebody else. You can try. Just like the virus is trying to infect as much as it can. We can try to disinfect as much as we can. Disinfect heart way. Disinfect the violence we have within us, the ill will, by bringing up qualities of goodwill. Disinfect the lack of compassion by bringing up qualities of compassion, caring for each other, for ourselves and each other. Conscience is the conductor of that. And we must follow our conscience well. We must groom it and purify it and perfect it so that we are living according to the Buddha's paradigm for awakening and not getting more deluded. May we all be strong like the little quail and someday maybe we will be Buddhas. It's not impossible. We would like to express our, our deep and heartfelt gratitude to you, Aya, once again. Andamayam damakataya sadhukaram dadamase sadhu.